Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm Michael Hamfler. And I am Adam Nicholas. Michael, what are you missing there? It's good to see you. I'm missing this, Nicholas, oh. is what I'm missing. All right, just cut the sh- right. You were missing <laughs> me is what you were missing, weren't you? Let's be honest. But yes, special treat for everybody because we're doing the season two recap from a safe mm. but in the same room distance as we yes. had, we were before all this madness happened. But we thought we'd do something special because this is, of course, the special episode of the pod where we recap all of season two. And, Michael, seeing as how you're here in the flesh, you can also call me and yourself the front of the plane because we are all <laughs> business to begin with. As always, shut up. I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> you can find this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at podcast horseman as always as you have done with all of your questions we'll get to those later on but you can also follow either of your hosts on twitter you can follow me at it's adam nicholas or you can follow michael hamflet at michael hamflet and i can't believe this secret recording location we found has got a front end of a plane everywhere's gone it's incredible isn't it i mean (laughs) listen we go where the business goes michael that's all it is it is what it is while we're at the front of the plane then let me say you can listen to this podcast on apple Podcasts. we'd love you to subscribe there leave us a five-star review all that usual good stuff if you want to follow on spotify that'd be tremendous you can listen on acast stitcher Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find the podcast on the Twitter feed at Podcast Horseman. Every Friday, new episode goes about like clockwork. And if you want to leave us a five-star review, that'd be tremendous. Leave us a few words. They can be nasty. They can be nice. They can be comments. They can be questions. We really don't mind. Those five stars will get you inducted on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Another one of them not coming next week, but that will resume normal service when we start season three next week. So not coming next week, but coming next week. <laughs> hey, give him a rest. It's the end of the season. He's had a hard time. And speaking of things that aren't going to be on this episode... We don't need a Netflix synopsis either. That's right. Because, of course, this is the season two recap, so no Netflix synopsis. But for anybody who is doing this for the first time, I guess, mm. and jumping in at a weird entry point, uh, we will be applying the usual formula that we would use throughout the normal season. So uh, usually it's Bojack and Friends, as we would not call it. We've never called it that in our lives. <laughs> but as you know, we go we break down Bojack's narratives and then the narratives of the other characters in Princess Carolyn, Diane, Mr. Butter, and Todd. We'll be doing that for the whole season though at this point. And we'll also follow that up with a nice dose of horsing around where of course we go back and find all of the small details, hidden meanings and Easter eggs from things within the season. That 
is about right coverage, isn't it? Have we done enough there? I think we've got everything. I think, I think we can good. try, if we can, to remember where we were at the start of the season. Bojack's life across season two feels about as long-lasting as the last time we recorded this in the it flesh. Does. Let's just, for, for the sake of time, Yes. 12 weeks, that is. 12 weeks. 12 weeks plus, I guess, at this point. Which, in the year of our Lord, 2020, feels like about 12 years. <laughs> we started this along... It's 2022 now. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. It is, of course, 2020 still, but it certainly feels that way. It's certainly gone that way for Bojack. It is bizarre to think that he started this series in the same place he ended it, which was him trying to have a better life, trying to be a bit more upbeat. Um, It's been the best and the worst of Bojack's world over the course of one single season. What started off with him seeing the greatest opportunity he ever had, Mm. seeing the wider purpose of the reason he got into acting in the first place, reached a peak, then plummeted drastically from that peak. If we're talking about Bojack the career, before we get to Bojack the personal life, this was, of course, a season defined by Secretariat, the work that he believed was indeed his life's work, the reason that he was inspired to get into acting, albeit indirectly. His obsession with Secretariat on television was then bullied by his mother into thinking, well, you have to do something similar or you will have failed in life. We learn that through even more caustic flashbacks to um, Bojack's youth in season two. They were even harder than they were in season one. Um, But yes, Bojack got Secretariat through the means that seemed to finally vindicate him as an actor, Mm. only to gradually turn out to be, what, the reason why his performances suddenly didn't matter. Like, his performances were chewed up by Hollywood. Very literally, in the end, everything that he'd filmed was replaced by a robot Bojack because he himself wasn't on set for reasons that we will get to. And it just felt like this was the year where the Hollywood dream became the nightmarish reality for him. We sort of get the real big glimpse, if we hadn't already, which I think we definitely have, but this was a real, for me, sign of, like, the Hollywood tar that we spoke of Mm. in previous where we finally see it in up in full swing, in full operation, where it turns something that he's literally held as like a dream of his forever. Since he was a tiny little kid, as we see time and time again, mm. he realizes that dream and it very, very quickly becomes something he does not want at all. It's a real shame mm. because by the end of the season, he's got where if, if you would see episode one and episode 12 and learn nothing in the middle, you would want to know that he started work on this film and by the end, he's getting Oscar buzz. Yes. He's getting told by his producers and everybody at a high level within the Hollywood machine that he's going to be a breakout star from this. This is going to make him as an actor. He's getting calls to do Broadway plays at the same time. Everything is going his way. But then having watched the journey of how we got from point A to point B, you realise that that's no real journey at all. It wasn't a journey of self-discovery. It wasn't a journey of self-improvement. It was anything if it was the opposite. It certainly wasn't a sort of voyage through this acting odyssey that he was desperate to find. Um, he even, I think by the end of season one, uh, he was very much in the position that, horsing around the thing that had defined him through all those DVDs that he would just sit and watch were brushed aside because it was like, I've got secretary now finally I can get that monkey off my back or get that horse off my back mm-hmm. and he's taken another horse on his back and now he's trying to shrug that off just as much it's as if through his work at least which as we know through the opening credits through everything that we sort of see visually attached to Bojack his work is his everything but it's nothing it's absolutely nothing to him it kind of leads us quite nicely into how his personal life has changed over the course mm-hmm. of season two with work being nowhere near as rewarding for him as he thought it might be. We have instead watched Bojack start and then lose the first significant relationship we've seen him have in the show, mm-hmm. that being Wanda the Owl, voiced brilliantly by Lisa Kudrow throughout. It took somebody that had been in a coma 30 years and thus having no context of Bojack's prior life yeah. to fall for him. Um, and from there, he, well, he was himself. He chased off a good thing. 
He didn't know how to be around somebody that wanted to make him better. And it's not as if any of the other things in his life in the meantime were going right to justify that one huge thing going wrong. He did, and not the dance, I should point out at this point, but he did the Bojack, didn't he? <laughs> he did the Bojack. He did the Bojack, which is to scare off anybody who could ever possibly love him because he doesn't actually love himself. And from the very beginning of this season, wasn't it? We got such an uplifted, new look on life, Bojack. If you remember rightly, all the way back at the beginning of season two, we had Bojack with all of his little acronyms and his little phrases and catchphrases that he was coming up with. He was high on life. He was Mr. Hashtag, wasn't he? He was <laughs> trying to, he was jogging, he was drinking smoothies. If yeah, you remember rightly, all the way back, the wonderful invention of Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter that somehow ended up making it into the real world. He was he was high on life and mm-hmm. high on the, the potential of doing this film. And then within seconds of getting there, suddenly felt like he was out of his depth, a horse on the wrong track entirely. And suddenly his fears plus the Hollywood machine just wanting to be like, I don't care how important this is to you. This is just another thing to us. Mm. Those two things collided. They had a tiny little horse baby <laughs> and it all got very dark very quickly for him. His relationship, as we talked about, with Wanda did ultimately die mm-hmm. um, almost very literally in a fire as they exchanged the uh, promise to move in with each other and say, I love you as the world literally burned around Bojack as they stood yeah. romantically in Todd's Disneyland. Um, death was very associated in the way that Bojack's career and personal life intersected in season two. In the early episodes of the season, he lost Herb Kazaz, mm. who we knew was suffering from a very serious cancer, only to get over it to then be involved in a car crash when he found out he had a peanut allergy. Um, and Corduroy Jackson-Jackson, who died um, um, doing the one-handle dangle-strangle, oh. or one of the various ones. It's a new one, but it's good. <laughs> Autoerotic asphyxiation um, became a... Well, became I didn't say become a trend in Hollywood, but certainly we were exposed to the trend of it in Hollywood, mm. and his co-star died on set. Those deaths happening very early in the season, I would say had a large part to play in bringing Bojack down from the early season positivity. They were indirectly related to the worlds that they were both in and Bojack's interaction with them reminded him, as he was constantly told, and we were told through flashbacks, that anything good that comes near him will be infected by the evil that spews forth from within inside him. He was born broken, as his mother told him. You are forgetting one very important death, though, that happened, of course, which was the death of poor Deborah's face. Oh, Deborah's face, um, R.I.P. R.I.P. Deborah's face, pour <laughs> one out as we hold our glasses up. Good for a podcast medium, that. Um, and genuinely, I think across the board with the with the whole, the number of deaths that we occur, yeah, it's sort of, we got a, we got a couple of previous seasons, didn't we, of course, mm. um, Diane's father, Diane being yeah. one of the moments in season one. And of course, this time around, Sort of a father figure, a best friend figure, also mm. like a, a work colleague, a boss figure for Bojack and Herb Kazaz. And watching the way that they all dealt with that between himself and the other stars who were on horse and around and the sort of impact and where they all are. I guess it was it was almost a wake-up call because despite the fact he tried to run away from horse and around and he's on this new adventure, which wasn't going super great for him, let's be honest, as he was doing the Secretariat deal, he was having doubts about himself, realised that actually... Maybe I am a hack. Maybe I'm not actually as good as I thought I was. And for years, I was just a sitcom actor. And I actually don't know how to act. Obviously, we get the lovely thing. I say lovely. Lovely for us to view his own mother sort of bringing him back down to earth. And Mm. that's as early as episode one. This new look on life is pretty much gone. And he ends up falling into the arms of Wanda, as you mentioned at that point. The fact that she managed to almost get something good out of him. But then ultimately, we see death surrounding him. We see a poor performance at his job. We see... Him just not really coping very well with the way the world has changed around him and how much the book 
because the book that he from from previous years, and of course, One Trick Pony, the Diane writes that opened so many doors for him, mm. and yet all he seems to be talking about is all of the closed doors around him, which are the ones I guess he's using to try and get away from other people. Well, you say getting away, and we reference, of course, his book, where he was keen not to live in the past. The one bit of the past he wanted to live in and get away to was to Charlotte. And yes, we have to address that again, as if episode 11 of season two wasn't enough on the podcast itself. Um, So yes, he's got all those things that he needs to escape from Hollywood. He's got the certain trouble that he's having in his career, certain trouble he's having in his personal life. He's left Wanda behind. Um, He's lost a bit of hope, I think, and that dream sequence that he'd long held for in Maine where you get, again, get like luxurious flashbacks of what relationship there might have nearly been mm. with Charlotte. And obviously we know of Charlotte and Herb and Bojack's past in their young life when Bojack was just a, a mere stand-up who yeah. didn't drink and had all of his hopes and dreams. Charlotte remains the one holdout from that period. And we always see that framed picture of her with the log cabin in Maine as if she was there maybe waiting for him. That was certainly what Bojack thought. She sees him at Herb's funeral. She find, He finds out that she's in uh, New Mexico, but he can get by with that. It's just a slightly different location for that frame picture. Mm. Um, through a what would prove to be ultimately very sad um, flashback sequence of Bojack, Charlotte, and their imagined daughter Harper, mm-hmm. we have seen the life that Bojack believes he can have if he finds her. So he goes to New Mexico on her invitation and finds her, and when he gets there, he finds that she's got a family, um, as we reviewed in great detail to go back to listen to episode 11. To cut a long story short, that ends up with him trying it on with both Charlotte and her daughter, Penny. Um, he burns that bridge to the ground. He burns it to cinders. It is one that he can never, ever revisit. Yeah. Um, she tells him with the effiest of F-bombs to keep away from her and her family for the rest of the days. So when he's lost everything in Hollywood, he can't even move away literally from that to get away from himself. There is no escape from being Bojack Horseman, and we have learned that in the most severe way thus far in the show, I think. I think the big thing here was that, because obviously the attempted sort of, re, I say rekindling, but there was nothing to rekindle really. The, the stuff with Charlotte was all something he had dreamt up in his head, an opportunity in a different, an alternate timeline, if you will, mm. to what he could have chose yeah. if he'd actually, because he could have gone to Maine with that, couldn't he? Yeah. Initially, that was the thing. And obviously that didn't happen and he made like many different life choices. We'll never know. He'll never know. All of that stuff was pretty much just his fantasy. But the worst part about all of this is that he goes to her. She's in a completely, she herself is in a completely different scenario to what he assumed. She's with the family. She's got a nice little shop that she owns. Everything's very pedestrian and very not Hollywood, which I think is the, the key part. Yeah. He goes to see her and not only does he burn the bridge with her by he gets up. It's such a frenzy when he gets. He thinks he's got an opportunity to talk her away. Let's leave. Let's run away yeah. together and do all this. That doesn't happen. And then from that literal moment, about what ten minutes, if that, he's then next thing we know, he's and we should clarify this. He's in on his boat, which is parked next to Charlotte's house because he obviously <laughs> used the, the buying of a boat as a sort of guise for a reason why he's visited. And next thing you know, he's on the verge of sleeping with Charlotte's daughter but for her interruption mm-hmm. and one of the most heartbreaking things he hasn't just burned the bridge there It's he's burned the fantasy he's burned the dream he's yeah. burned the alternate dimension that he could have potentially had dimension, timeline whatever you want to call it Like it's gone mm-hmm. completely and utterly not just not just a physical thing His anything he could have had in his head is now gone like that's gone and he has to what could have been his reality is gone so what does he do? he goes back to the fake fictional world of Hollywood which is the last place you'd think he would go, and yet there he is, back to the only thing he knows. There is an interesting thing about his return to Hollywood at the end. We'll talk about 
now like Bojack's relationships obviously with the character and it seems only fitting to start with Todd who from season one was very much the secondary character in Bojack's life before sort of Diane and Mr Peanutbutter and everybody else moved into it through the show mm. there have been some ups and downs with Todd and Bojack in this series off the back of the end of the prior series where we learn of well Todd's ability to deal with Bojack's betrayal when we go all the way back to Todd's rock opera he was able to cope with it but he'd found more of a kindred spirit in uh, Mr Peanutbutt by the end of the season that is expanded upon in season two as they go into the odd bit of business together but just sticking on Todd and Bojack in this one season two surprises you in that of all things by the end of the season they seem to have found a new common ground mm. Todd is pushed quite a long way away from Bojack's sphere of influence. So what we learn is the first time in five years, he's been there on Bojack's couch, and if he's not been there, he's been adjacent to Bojack's various misadventures. And he seems to wash his hands a little bit of Bojack when he thinks he can no longer help him. Bojack is pushing that away, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. But he continues to push and push and push until Todd is so far away that Bojack decides that he needs him or realises that he needs him. That has sort of remained unclear. Todd moves into the world of improv, um, definitely not a cult, definitely not psychology, definitely just not. improvisation. And Bojack rescues him, for the want of a better phrase, from that. That's how their arc ends. But it's more undulating than you would have expected for them to reach that point at the very end where they seem to be on the same page again. Mm. And Todd will be living back on Bojack's couch where they kind of both believe he belongs. For all intents and purposes, he was as good as gone for most of the season before then. We were presented again that Bojack is not the guy that you would want to live with, even if you literally have nowhere to live. Well, the whole thing for this season with those two is that there's a bunch of obstacles in the way, isn't there? Bojack, mm. we get Bojack who's busy with work, then Bojack's busy with Wanda. And as we see Todd even in the house, we get the almost the, presented like a weird nuclear family thing going on mm. where it's Wanda yeah. and Bojack, mom and dad, Todd's on the set. He even has a little bit of acting out, doesn't he, in the way he's trying to get their attention yeah. in some hilarious moments throughout the season. But to the point where Todd realises there's other stuff going on and mm. Bojack isn't necessarily the centre of his universe and he certainly isn't the centre of Bojack's at all. It's a strange one for Todd this season. Every, not every episode, but the majority of episodes feature a more defined ABC plot structure than we've had in season one. And part of that is because, obviously, all the other characters, the ancillary characters now become far more fleshed out than they were in season one. But Todd specifically is trying to find himself outside of Bojack. It's interesting that by the end, he's kind of come back round to him because mm. his misadventures have kind of led him there. Um, if you think about how he was working alongside J.D. Salinger, or at least trying to on the set yeah. of Hollywood Stars and Celebrities, um, trying to compete for his... <laughs> trying to compete for... I couldn't say that every time. I'll have no breath left to get the rest of my point out. Um, we see, of course, the, in the episode Chickens where they just go off on an adventure because Todd doesn't fall in love with the chicken but forms a bond with one enough to justify an entire plot run out like that and then the various businesses and wacky ideas that he has with Mr Peanut Butter becomes fleshed out into PB Living yeah. uh, he has his own Disneyland which is such a bizarre comment on how little Bojack has paid attention over the last five years yeah. it's not so much about that he's built a Disneyland, it's that he's been building a Disneyland the whole time. Because we've only ever seen Todd through Bojack's lens, we wouldn't have known that in a million years no. that an entire theme park was being built. I mean, it's not a very good one, but an entire theme park was being built on a field mm. over the last five years that Todd has expressed enormous interest and passion for, and Bojack has shown little to zero interest in it. Otherwise, we would have known about it too. These things that Todd has been doing this season have seemingly been all about him trying, finally trying to find his place in the world. Mm -hmm. And then when he does through the giggle ship and through improv, not cult, not Scientology, not a cult. he is well out of his depth. 
unlike the boat itself, which floats on top of the water, he is miles out of his depth. And he does, for the first time in a long time, actually need Bojack again. He doesn't need a sofa, but he needs his boat. Well, he is out of depth, but it comes right after him not being out of depth. Because if you think about it, he's he becomes like a level eight <laughs> he does, um, right, yeah. improv guy, doesn't he? So like he's in he far surpasses the people who actually get him into the Yes. Definitely not a cult. Definitely, definitely not a cult. Into the improv group and mm. um, he surpasses their skills until he gets demoted for discovering the dirty secrets of the giggle ship and everybody on it and it's specifically copernicus the top man in the improv mm. group definitely not a cult but i found it fascinating that probably a really good uh, summary of how bojack's life and todd's life seem to be getting getting further apart and further apart at the point where bojack really just doesn't listen or care at all is when we get the episode where bojack and diane get caught up in the news storm Mm. And those two are dealing with the Bojacks on the book tour. Diane is obviously with him. We get all these questions and it's obviously all, be- it's the Hank After Dark episode, episode seven, I think that yes. is, where obviously there's this whole, they tackle the whole seedy underbelly of Hollywood and both real life and fictional, of course. Um, and But during that whole time, Todd has this entire narrative <laughs> that we are told through the very, very background lens, like mm. the furthest point back entirely. Like, and arguably, the things that are, end up going down during Todd's narrative are far more dangerous and and world-destroying mm. to the point where, obviously, the whole focus is meant to be how the new cycle can distract from one thing and another and how many different issues can be going on at the same time. Bojack and Diane, literally, to the point where when they're having their final discussion at the end of this episode where they've managed to make it through, Bojack's still a bit annoyed with Diane, he wants everything to be okay... Todd comes smashing out of, a, of a, a window trying to explain to them he may have okayed a genocide. Like, he may have, as obviously I'm talking about him impersonating the Prince of Cordovia or whatever. It's like swap lives. They swap somehow, lives somehow. They? No, never really explained no. or expanded upon. But he makes lots of decisions when he's the Prince of Cordovia. A lot of them seem to have catastrophic, <laughs> catastrophic results. But Bojack and Diana are like, we don't care. Like, they mm. shut him out. They do not listen to him at all. Because their things, whatever their business is, is more important than anything Todd's got yes. to say. Because it's shut up, Todd, clean up your shit, Todd. <laughs> Only this is on a bigger scale. Hard to take Todd serious, admittedly, when he stood in the middle of an alley in his underpants. But that is not the point. The point here is that them two have gone so far apart and are living two such different lives that even when his best, quote unquote, best friend mm. is struggling and it literally is being chased out of an embassy <laughs> by who God knows who. Bojack's like, no, I've got other things going on. This is the guy who's his best friend. Imagine what he does to his worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably not a better episode than Hank After Dark for us to segue into talking about Diane's season two. Yeah. We spoke at length, with good reason, I believe, <laughs> in season one about Diane being the truth. Um, the truth of Hollywood, the truth of Bojack's life, and of course the truth of his book, yeah. which would, as you say kind of come to redefine him in the public eye in a way that even he couldn't really wrap his head around. Mm. A lot of the things that came his way were as an entire result of Diane's ability to get his message across and get the things that he doesn't think would be relatable actually relatable to the general public. They, yeah. he was, she was relating to him through her writing. However, season two, rather than her being able to celebrate the success of that book, uh, certainly we see through Hank After Dark, the issue gets taken off her. The narrative gets taken off her completely because she dares to question the... Um, sexual proclivities of a beloved American hero. We talked about this at yeah. length in episode seven. Love you, go back to listen to that. It was one of our favourites and obviously one of the episodes to cover because it deals with an issue that hadn't yet been dealt with by the whole world in the form of the Me Too movement and in 2020, quite recently to us, the Speaking Out movement. This was ahead of the curve, but obviously miles behind how the rest of the world 
yeah. review in Hollywood. And I think what's interesting to finally get this round to Diane, because yet again, it becomes about this rather than her, as if that wasn't her problem enough in the episode, yeah. is that she was dealing with a bit of an identity crisis before all this. Mm-hmm. She'd written her book and it was tremendous, but her marriage wasn't in great shape and her next move wasn't all that clear. When her next move seems apparent, all of a sudden, she's dragged unfairly into the murky world of Hollywood male peer pressure, press and media intrusion, and something that just drives a wedge further between a marriage that's on thin ice to the point where she has indeed been engulfed by the world that Bojack's been in for years and ends up having to hide out at his, literally hide out at his house after trying to go to Cordovia to fix all that, much in the same way that he escaped in New Mexico. She leaves the country. It doesn't work. She ends up hiding in his house from those marital problems, from Hollywood itself, from her entire life. It's not a good run for her, but it's not fair either. No, she's... She, well, as we'll say throughout this show and throughout any of the seasons, I imagine, women are always getting a very difficult time in this show. Mm. And it's usually the idiotic men around them who are prospering in whatever way, shape or form, while they, despite working much harder, end up with very little to show for it normally. We do get them as a whole. But if you think about Diane, she's done the book for Bojack. She's, as a result of that, the narrative on Bojack changes and maybe not in the way that she's happy with. Like she questions what was the point like we get Bojack desperate for people to think he's good and is he good she can't say whether he's good because she doesn't believe that there's good or bad people that's just mm. people and I just think the way that Bojack's life takes off it's great for him ultimately but what does it what does it all mean Basil because she's <laughs> she's questioning what was the point for her really ultimately what does it bring she ends up doing this the role on the Secretariat film is the advisor where the cable, she doesn't watch the cable, Michael, and that's mm-hmm. how we lose Deborah's face. RIP, <laughs> thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers to Deborah's face. But, like, as you say, this identity crisis leads further into her eventually trying to take on the big bad wolf or the big bad hippo in this situation mm-hmm. as Hank Hippopopolis. And <laughs> unfortunately, that kind of feels like the moment where we get the the real... The big chip on Diane Scholler, which will eventually turn into a massive crater that she can't get out of. And obviously she goes off to Cordovia to try and figure that out. But again, another oh, another arsehole man gets in the way of this. And in the form of Sebastian St. Clair, she experiences some real goddamn trauma while she's over there. Like yeah. some horrific, horrific things she sees. And it's all, well, this is happening. The men or the man, Sebastian St. Clair, is just trying to get some good press for himself. Mm. He doesn't care about anybody who's there. He cares about the paying customers, doesn't he? The people who can pay for the the hospitals and the ambulances that he's going to be providing over there. Not the dead, who he doesn't care about. (laughs) Diane literally watches people get blown to smithereens and by the time she ends up on Bojack's couch, she's got pretty good damn reason to be there. Yeah. Like, everything that's gone wrong has led to that point. It's not like she's just suddenly being a freeloader. Diane has had a rough going, man. The sight of a on Bojack's couch in a dressing gown, pyjamas, hiding from Mr. Peanut Butter. It's obviously visually representative of, say, somebody going through significant mental health yeah. problems, a, a crisis, maybe a confidence, the bordering of depression, yeah. all those sort of things. Um, and it's just, as you say, it's a pattern of misconduct throughout. So it starts with a total misunderstanding. Bojack is the first because he effectively forces an apology out of her for yeah. her writing what she believed was the truth. And I yeah. think we can say with some objectivity was virtually all the truth. Mm. Um, so he gets that out of her because of his male fragility, I suppose. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter is uncomfortable 
with her challenging the status quo as his career is finally rebounding himself. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a sexual misconduct of Hank Hippopolis that kicks off so much worse for her, yeah. the misconduct of the media that is directed towards her at various points during this case for daring to come at a legend of the game. A woman daring to come at a man. Exactly, yeah, a woman. And and the gender is vital in this case as well um, because she's then turned on by female members of the media who are themselves controlled by the power players of the industry and the like. Um, And then last but not least, yes, I've seen St. Clair, a kind of uh, extra, really, in this show from how we were introduced to him in season one. He doesn't really come to play a bigger role we just have it slightly expanded upon that he's no good for anyone but Sebastian St. Clair. And again, it's through wealth and it's through power. And Lenny Turtletop, the job yeah. that she is given on the scene when why she's on secretary is because she's literally wrote the book on him and she is required to stop somebody tripping over a wire. Mm. She's so disillusioned by that that she, quote-unquote, fails to do that and somebody trips over a wire in the case of Deborah and her face has gone RIP Deborah's face. So that will further undermine her ability to do, well, anything. Anything at all. It would leave you a weathered, withered mess by the end of that all. And I guess on the in terms of the Secretariat stuff, like she effectively, the sort of trickle-down effects of the, the males in a position of power mm. is what causes it because she's maybe not directly with Turtletob, but Turtletob's attitude towards Kelsey mm. and Kelsey knowing that she has to make this film work and that she is already look. It's not what I have to say. She's already lucky to be in the position she is because women don't get the opportunities the same that men do. So she wants to make a count. When Diane, who's hired to help Kelsey, a fellow woman who two of them could have worked together solidly on this, Kelsey is like, I do not want to see you. Like mm. She is enraged that someone be, would be on the set to, help, to as a consultant to even help her do her job. She doesn't like that. Now, maybe that may be an artistic thing, an ego thing as well. But ultimately, I feel like it's spawned out of her being... Needs to, she wants to do her job and she wants to get it right because she's got some arsehole men who are waiting to find out whether she's done a good job or not and she needs it to work. Hence, she sends Diane to watch the cable and ultimately she can't really do it because who the hell wants to watch the cable, Michael? I don't think that's an accident. Though. I think you've really hit up on something there because, as you say, we don't. this is not on Kelsey <laughs> for feeling slightly aggrieved that Diane is there, but she too will have suffered so much under the thumb that she believes now she's got there. Men have put her in, have put that made that position so precarious for her that she feels like any boat rocking by anybody else, especially yeah. a woman, will see that taken away from her. And you know, as we'll get to, spot. exactly, yeah, we'll get to that later in the season. It does, and the very same thing happens to Diane through Princess Carolyn in her capacity as Peanut Butter's agent. A wonder in her capacity as a network executive yeah. that doesn't like Peanut Butter or Hank shows getting rattled when she's put all the work into them doing a back to back promotion of the two shows. How it's going to save the network? Mm-hmm. Um, she needs a win. She herself needs to win because she, as a network executive who's a female, finds herself also in a precarious position. Mm-hmm. The mechanisms of the Hollywood machine are so rigged against women that they can't even support each other mm-hmm. without the possibility of them all falling. It remains the most delicate, balanced house of cards. It's unfair. It's grossly, yeah, grimly unfair. And, you know, this is a podcast about the show rather than about the world. So credit to the show for getting that across to us amongst some really good jokes and some really good character moments. That is such a prevailing theme. I think we've both talked about this perhaps off the podcast and on that every episode is about men's advantage over women. Yeah. Every single episode addresses it. It always, it like it never feels like it's revisiting it. It never feels tacked on. It always feels organic in service of the plot, but it is addressed literally every single episode that this is a rigged game. And why would you even want to play it if you're a woman? And that's ultimately how they win the most, is by suggesting, why bother? 
Why would leave it to the men? Leave it to the men. They make it so untenable. It's like, why would you even want yeah. to put yourself in that situation? And yet, even when they do try their best to put themselves out there, we are given glimmers of hope, despite every man across the board who has a, a terrible amount of influence across. We're talking Bojack. We're talking Peanut Butter because of the show he works on, who is working under J.D. Salinger, who is working under the network executive, which is Wanda, who is attached to Bojack. Mm. We go back to that. Lenny Turtletop leading the show for the men on um, for the, the set of Secretariat. We've got Rabitowitz in the Vigor offices who is toying with Princess Carolyn throughout the whole show. We get all these men who are constantly interfering and also just being plain stupid, like <laughs> thick idiot men. If you haven't listened enough to this podcast, you should know by now, including myself and Michael Hamflit. Yeah. We're all thick. Yep. Every man is thick <laughs> and bad and and that, that might sound a bit preachy. It's not supposed to, but it's the truth. I hate to break it there because this show is a fantastic job of showing it. They fail to recognise across the board how lucky they all are to be in their respective positions. But the women do work hard and they do, even, even by the end of the season, Diane has obviously kind of almost overcome the, the big demons. Or certainly not overcome mm. them, but she's on the bounce back as she is reunited with Mr. Peanut Butter. And I guess maybe in decent enough time Princess Carolyn's narrative itself is probably everything we could probably want to talk about when it comes to the male versus female narrative in this show yeah Princess Carolyn's season one was entirely defined by her relationship to and with Bojack mm -hmm. their fractious romantic slash professional relationship and all the problems that that was destined to cause finally reaches its end point by the end of season one and she goes out alone it becomes a very career centric season for Princess Carolyn until a big involvement in her career in the form of Rudebaker Rabitowitz offers her seemingly everything. Yeah. She finally gets, as she says in the very last episode of the season, an opportunity just to take a minute and pause until his phone goes off. That split second was when she had it all. Yeah. Because to recap, she has met a colleague who she believes she might be falling for. They develop at the very least a sexual relationship. And within that relationship, they discuss getting away from this world and doing it, going at it alone. The kind of Thelma and Louise picture that he paints her about how they can be agents without vigor yeah. you know overseeing them they can have their own agency she has proven this with some incredible gets this season not only is obviously bojack and last to be fair yeah well yeah not only is obviously bojack working on secretary but she has effectively with wanda's help and you know guidance elsewhere uh steered mr peanut butter back to prominence um she appears really really switched on again to drag every person she sees up from the pit they might be in, mm. whether that be Bojack, whether that be Diane. We're learning that she's got these methods with which she uses. And you just think, wow, you're really good at this. You can do this. And yet, up until the very end of the season, it's as if she can't without Rudebaker there as the, the male in her life to get that done until the glorious cathartic conclusion where she leaves him behind. Well, the thing is, you mentioned there, like the Princess Carolyn bringing people up to, where, to her, to her level, if you will. Yeah. And ironically, that is exactly where we find Rudebaker a bit of it. He is the literal level below her in the building mm -hmm. in Vega offices. And interestingly, he's constantly on the phone. Why? There's, he, you know, he, he essentially initiates what becomes a romantic relationship with Princess Carolyn. But Rudebaker a bit of it is a married man. This shouldn't be happening. And yet, obviously it does. But ultimately, while it seems like he's trying to help them both, He's only really trying to help himself up to her level. Like, li quite literally, he wants to be on the next level, on the ladder, the next rung, and he does that by 
initiating this with Princess Carolyn. And together, they are potentially going to go off and start this new company, which he probably even recognises that she is very good at her job. And maybe she'll do all the work. Yeah. Is what is initially what my head is screaming at me. Like, she's great. Why don't I just get her and use her to do all the graft? And I can be there and maybe <laughs> get this booty call whenever I fancy it at yeah. work and continue to have a married man's life. Not a very good bunny at all, this one, is it? <laughs> He's less than ideal. And it's, again, really well explored how he expressed that to her. He kind of... He negs her into a relationship, Princess Carolyn, doesn't he? But while negging his own wife, there are both those opposing forces happening right up until the very end of their relationship. He is, when he looks as if he's going to lose her, he talks about how she can't get anyone better and he doesn't want to hurt her feelings and things like that. This is after he's, we've seen in previous episodes, him getting off the phone to Katie and saying, oh, I don't want to go and do this this weekend. And yeah. then by the end, when he thinks he's got Princess Carolyn, he starts being nicer to Katie again. This is just a guy that constantly thinks he can have his own carrot cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Um, to talk a little bit about Princess Carolyn's undisputed success story of this season, we've got to get to Mr. Peanut Butter. From Hollywood Zero to Mainstream Hero all over again in the One More Time Hollywood Stars and Celebrities, What Do They Know, Do They Know Things, Let's Find Out. What's the abbreviation for? I think off the top of my head, it's H-S-A-C-W-D-T-K-D-T-K-L-T-F. No, I've done that wrong. Oh, he was close. You were close. Listen, one day you'll get it both, right? Maybe you just got to do more notes or something. There's another F for you to believe and it's not the word find, which I couldn't <laughs> get. No, um, Mr. Peanutbody gets the game show, of course, the big game show that becomes a massive success because the stupider in Hollywood, the yeah. better. This is stupid stuff. This is stupid stuff out of the mind of J.D. Salinger, who isn't dead, but is a recluse in a bike shop. You know, the, the C-plots are really irrelevant, but J.D. Salinger's still around. Alexander's still there. Fame for, of course, Catherine the Right and that other book. And the other stuff um, it's quite the turnaround, but... It's all very bittersweet for Mr. Peanut Butter. He is the guy through season one that we constantly see him and Bojack on a similar track, but he just kind of takes what life throws at him, sees everything as being a bit more positive and things seem to work out versus Bojack on the negative side of things. In this, it's really less to do with that. While Bojack is finding secretary and thinking he's got the role of a lifetime, it looks like nothing for change is going to go Peanut Butter's way. It looks like maybe they've swapped lives. But no, in this game show comes... Uh, and yet his marriage to Diane looks to be falling apart. Mm-hmm. They find themselves spending increasingly less time together. Peanut Butter understandably has concerns about Diane's relationship with Bojack. In this series, we're asked, well, we're not asked, we're reminded that he's not as stupid a dog as we perhaps thought he was in mm-hmm. season one. We see him, it, there's a Wizard of Oz thing going on here, where it's like he develops brain and a heart and feelings and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if that's the fleshing out of the character because they realised that they were doing a really good job of world building with him and Diane in season one or if it's just that he's kind of had to have a bit of a reality check because for the first time in a long time things don't seem to be going that well for him it's a strange journey he takes in season two but he's no less likeable no. he's still this like very warm fuzzy good boy yes you are yes you are but it <laughs> doesn't feel half as obnoxious or half no. as stupid or half as lucky as he did in season one I would agree. I would absolutely agree. I've been sitting here and we trying to keep a straight face because I think you could probably say in season one, Michael, he was a, a wolf draft of himself. <laughs> and now that he's coming to season two, he's kind of a bit more refined, isn't he? They've figured out what the character is. Get out that window. I'm trying my best, honestly. I'll, I'll leave, I promise. He, I think, honestly, the way that he was in season one was this potentially like jockish, wasn't he? That was mm. jockish tones to undertones and... He seemed like he might have been the jealous boyfriend type who was going to like 
squash out the competition in Bojack. And, Why is she with him yeah, when she should be with yeah, Bojack? Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. But actually, that character doesn't fly, and I think they realised that quite early on. They were barking up the wrong tree and decided to change <laughs> the method with this. So they've ended up giving him more layers, and that actually suits him because yeah. so now we've got another character story who we're actually interested in alongside that. Yes, it is also helped because the, the dynamic between him and Diane is very much... Did they? Because we we weren't sure. Had they rushed this whole wedding thing to begin with in season mm. one, and now we find in season two, it all hasn't quite gone to plan the way maybe we assumed it was going to. Because he is peanut butter as a, as a very good boy. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But <laughs> the thing with him is that, like, ultimately, he's a bit too enthusiastic sometimes, and the things he wants to do for Diane are maybe his dreams, less mm. about what she wants and more about the grandiose thing that maybe he thinks. Uh, the blanket thing for everybody, maybe. That, oh, let's do a party, for example, which goes spectacularly wrong. Yeah. Things like this that maybe it show signs of him uh, dreaming up what he wants, not so much focusing in on someone like Diane, who ultimately he even does do. He knows what she likes, and yet he still wants her to be to be more sometimes, which maybe is not the best medicine for these two. It's quite nice in that every character probably. Ha- owns one quality more than all the rest. And I would say Mr. Peanut Butters is that he's just sweet. Yes. He's fundamentally a good dog. However, yes, he is, yes, he is. However, as you say, through the career opportunities that he's faced with, um, he will do things such as try to ask his wife to keep it down a little bit, please, because it's going to impact my career. Yeah. Or, as you say, throw a party that has with it a little bit of, I don't know, like spiked punch maybe, like the, mm. this is not just the birthday party for Diane so much as it is the showing out of the life that Mr. Peanutbutter yeah. wants to be seen to be leading. We get that through a really great and somewhat understated flashback uh, in this season where we obviously learned of a previous, of one of Mr. Peanutbutter's previous relationships um, to uh, a, you know a woman that had a serious drinking problem that he was trying to mask amongst his colleagues because he was trying to think of his career and things like that. So we know now that he too is wearing scars that maybe weren't really explored in season one. And I think that's yet another way that like keeps him a good boy. Um, mm. But yeah, he's not without, he's not without very minor flaws mm. and they may not be on the level of Bojack's, but it's, again, it speaks to these characters in Hollywood. Hollywood, as we talked about in season one, is as big a character as all the individual characters because they are, there's like a magnetic force in the middle of it that pulls them back to it and all the ills that it brings, mm. they get to live relatively easy lives compared to the normal people of the world because of it. And yet they are punished seemingly on a daily basis for making what feels like a deal with the devil. Yeah, and Peanut Butter seems to be one of those who is, has been heavily influenced over this time by Hollywood and all of the goings on. Like we see him at the parties, don't we? Mm. All of this Erica business that we've yeah. seen many times this season. How many times is it? I think it's about four this time, nine for the nine series for overall. The series overall. Like that's his go-to thing. But we also see the origins of that. We see from mm. his ex-partner, that's where he got that idea from. And then all the other things that he does seems to be him developing this persona to try and fit into Hollywood a little bit more. And then ultimately... The, this perfect relationship that he has with Diane, the thing that he wants more than anything in the world is to make that work, technically, right up until he needs to find himself another job because obviously PB living goes <laughs> completely and utterly bankrupt. Funny though, because when this happens, if you remember rightly, Peanut Butter's attitude is to just go and wander, isn't it? He wants to go and wander the streets and something will happen for him because he's he's got loads of his privilege, yeah. which he hasn't even figured out yet, but that's how he sees it. And Diane is very much like, oh, like you know, we need to pay the bills, so get a job. <laughs> How quickly does that dynamic switch, though, when mm. he's now got the job and he's trying to keep it, but ultimately that's getting in the way of her agenda. And I think a huge thing that comes up in this particular season is 
Everything's fine until it's not fine for each individual character, their agendas and what is good for them. And ultimately, how is that in line with what is the right thing overall? That's where Bojack, most of his major struggles come from is he has secretariat. It's your dream job. Until it's not, it's not going right for him. He leaves. Hollywood gets too much. He goes back. And instead of the thing that he wanted is Hollywood has completely replaced him yeah. with this version. And he's going to get everything he wants, allegedly. But is that right? Like everything that's happened to get there and potentially some future Oscar rumours we're already hearing whispers about. What does he do about that? Because that wasn't him. Whereas Diane goes to Cordovia, is trying to do something good. But ultimately, it's not really any good because Sebastian Sinclair is in it for himself. So she has to figure out, is my agenda having a good job and doing, making the world a, a better place? Can that line up with the fact that he's actually a piece of shit and <laughs> this isn't real work? Peanut butters, again, trying to keep his job. Diane tries to spill the beans on Hank. This pattern continues with every single character, and including Carolyn as well. Carolyn's Princess Carolyn, I believe, I should refer to her, <laughs> as she will tell us herself in the season finale. Even her, she wants Vigar, doesn't she? She wants to make that work. And Rudabega seems like the way to go. Mm. Ultimately, we realise he, we very, very quickly realise, but we get it confirmed, he is an absolute piece of shit, <laughs> real bad, and yet she decides that doing it with him and moving on wouldn't be right and so we find that she makes the choice in the end maybe the one who does make the right choice the big right choice to say this is the right thing for me this is the right thing for the world and potentially because she is one of them and a great poster woman for them the right thing for women in this show it's funny isn't it that is I don't want to call it a happy ending mm. but that is a the characters are permitted some satisfaction at the end of season two and that's certainly where it's differs quite starkly from the end of season one or at least necessarily like every character certainly didn't seem to be on the right track yeah. for the most part Bojack maybe doesn't want to be on the track but he's a racehorse in the film yeah. so that's what Secretary's going to do he's going to keep on running um, get it track <laughs> do you track, get it do you get it Diana Miss Peanut Butter they're going to make it work they're going to try yeah. um, Princess Carolyn um, to sum up because uh, we didn't quite touch on it there she leaves Rita Baker in the lift of their vigor as they've burned that bridge. He's burned that bridge, not them. Yes. Um, but she leaves him behind to go and do whatever he wants with his wife, but find a new job, find new living. Um, and yeah, all the characters for the most part seem to be in a reasonable place. Obviously, we end and we're all touching this again. We end on Bojack looking for a better tomorrow and trying to better himself because he's been told of all this off his buzz. Um, and it's just, I think, and I don't want to use the word nice because Bojack's mm. anything but a nice show. Again, like I feel like I want to go back to the spike to punch at one of his at Mr. Peanut Butter's party. You feel like they might all say about a glass of punch, but yeah. every single glass is spiked. At this point, we know that they're all in too deep in this world, and the next substantial setback is right around the corner. And I like that sense of foreboding that season two ends with. We touched upon it in the review of episode 12, but Courtney Barnett's yeah. soundtracking of the final scenes, it's quite hard. It's semi-aspirational but with the crunching reality of real life avant-gardener is about a, a beautiful world and a stunning life but the misery of actually leading that life yeah. and that seems to pretty much sum up where they're all at at this point even though it's supposed to believe that they're kind of moving on to bigger and better things if you put it all on paper where they all start the season and where they all end up you could argue hey this must have been a pretty nice season for them <laughs> like Bojack does the does the film, as you mentioned, does the film and ends up potentially on the road to Oscar buzz. Mm. Wonderful, that, isn't it? That's great, that is. Princess Carolyn starts the show, 
the very beginning, just kind of idling along. And by the end of it, she's going to have her own company. She is going to have the company. She's running the whole damn show now, mm. as she should be. Peanut Butter starts the show just doing the usual peanut butter stuff <laughs> and ends up eventually getting a role on a massive big TV show that's taken off huge success, maybe even arguably bigger than Mr. Peanut Butter's house. Wouldn't want to confirm because I wasn't there in the 90s for the show, <laughs> but you never know, a dog can dream. And he ends up with that. And no less, Diane and Peanut Butter's relationship feels like it could end strong. All this stuff on paper sounds wonderful. Even Todd has had his own Disneyland at one point. Mm -hmm. Wonderful stuff. But ultimately, they all kind of just... You're right, it's an upwards beat. We end the episode, we end the season on an upwards beat, but that doesn't necessarily represent where they all might be. They're on the if it was peaks and troughs, they're on the way up towards a peak, but there's no guarantee they're gonna get there. Yeah. We end with the message there's maybe a bit of hope, mm -hmm. as we even get in the baboon who gives Bojack the motivational speech at the end. But there's no guarantees here, and as you say, this is a a more positive note on the trumpet, but perhaps not the end of the solo that we're about to hear. <laughs> he knew the trumpets came with such foreboding tones. Of course. It's worth, before we get on, just a couple of breakout bits from the episode, which mm. I know you've diligently compiled. Just as a bit of a programming note, really, season two was um, a huge leap forward from season one. Yeah. It immediately, from very early on in the season, received tremendous critical acclaim. Yeah. Anybody that hadn't yet fallen in love with it from the back end of season one when Bojack kind of found its voice as a TV show mm -hmm. very, very quickly got on board with it by the start of season two. They knew what the quality of show that was being presented to them as evidenced really at the back end of season one. Mm -hmm. um, and it just feels like worthwhile and correct to touch on some of the guest stars that rocked up in this series yes, because they were used so well, they were used so efficiently. And I think it just speaks to the like the early success of the show that these people were on to be involved in such a way. We've got George Takai as the audiobook narrator yes, yeah. in season one. We've got Lisa Kudrow brilliantly as Wanda Pierce, adding such incredible gravitas to uh, a very difficult role as Bojack's uh, girlfriend, not least with there being a bit of a metagag with Lisa Kudrow herself yeah. being known as back in the 90s. She was in a very, 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 very famous TV, TV show. Yeah. Um, speaking of being in a very, very famous TV show, we had Henry Winkler playing himself, but the version of himself that wanted to kill Herb Kazaz at Herb Kazaz's funeral. And let's have it right, no references to the fact he was ever in Happy Days, just that he was in that one episode of Special Victims Unit or whatever it was, <laughs> yeah, was it. which is a brilliant gag in itself. They mustn't have, they mustn't talk about him being in Happy Days and literally jumping the <laughs> shark. Uh, Amy Schumer with a really understated performance as Irvin, Kelsey Janning's yeah. daughter in Chickens. Again, a very silly episode with a very silly subplot, but she was kind of the heart of that because she was this young character that Diane suddenly aspired to be a bit more like, feeling a little bit lost and again going through that identity crisis. We had Philip Baker Hall, magnificent vocal performance as Hank Hippopopoulos. He went from convivial to evil, which as we would know, unfortunately with the movements that followed this came to define many of those people that had become beloved Hollywood figures that would fall from their false pedestals as the false idols that they were. Daniel Radcliffe was an inspired casting as Daniel Radcliffe to plug his movie on the uh, Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know, do they know things, let's find out. That was rigged to favour him that he then ultimately lost. Yeah, Bojack. And another guy who's obviously been defined forever by that one role in <laughs> yeah, his life, it. which is another wonderful parallel to him and Bojack. Alan Arkin as oh. J.D. Salinger with the great oh. um, underrated performance of the season, I think. It's something we both fell in love with. It, it seems glib. 
to say that he brought J.D. Sancho back to life, but it did suddenly feel like the author of The Catcher in the Rye had holed up in a bike shop. And I do wonder how many conspiracy theories were born off the back of that for the strength of that vocal performance. And I'd like to add the tiny little bit of fascinating trivia because I listened to a, I listened to a podcast, Talk Easy podcast with Sam Fragoso. Mm. I think we've mentioned it on here before. A wonderful podcast yes. if you like long-form interviews. He actually spoke with Alan Arkin at one point. A wonderful, wonderful interview. Please do check that out if you're interested in that sort of thing. And Alan Arkin actually, ironically, talks about his role on BoJack Horseman. And interestingly enough, was actually friends with the real-life J.D. Salinger. <laughs> and as a result, for him, it felt like an honour to actually be able to try and deliver that vo- vocal performance for one of his friends, who absolutely would never in a million years have obviously <laughs> done this. But he loved the way the show brought that about. It's one of several, I think, as well, and some of the ones I've touched on, and there's a few more, mm-hmm. where you can't quite believe what they got out of the people because of, well, because of the subject material. Yeah. This is an acting job. Like, if anybody's ever assumed that, like, voiceover work is, like, a bit of a, an easy gig for Hollywood, it's no, not. No. And this reminds you of that. People that go into studios, they go in and they lend their voice to something, and they're required to act, they're required to perform, they're required to be these characters. I was going to say be these people, but, of course, so many of them are animals, and yet it never feels like you're watching some daft animated no. animal show. Um, that seems to tie us quite nicely to Olivia Wilde's wonderful performance as Charlotte. Oh, the heart and soul that she puts into the nice side of her relationship with Bojack juxtaposed with how caustic, vitally so, she is when she chases him all out in New Mexico in what was probably the moment of the season. Yeah. Um, ironically, the sort of thing that would get Oscar buzz if this was a film just Very before cool. um, Secretariat fictionally does. Secretariat, brilliantly voiced by John Krasinski. Yeah. Uh, he brings, you can feel the comedic flow of Jim Halper in the office when he's being on the talk show yeah. and when he's saying, hey there, like thanks a lot, thanks a lot for your letter, Bojack. But yet... There is such heft when he goes into his dark soul and he just tells Bojack to keep running. You feel that he too has led a difficult life that Bojack will ultimately go on to lead. Um, his office comrade, Ed Helms, as Kyle, yes. doesn't get a lot, but how well he does with what he works with Very as the innocent husband of Charlotte, of course. Um, sticking with the office, but on our side of the pond, Ricky Gervais puts in a late showing as the hedgehog at the orphanage, um, gets his little glib, oh, I got that bit wrong stuff, yeah. spot on brings David Brent really to the to this show and that's probably like the most welcome use of Ricky Gervais uh, Aisha Tyler as 16 Aquafina is never not great we're always <laughs> glad to have her back and my personal favourite because the absolute goal of them to do it is a long form gag that went throughout the episode of Paul McCartney being in a cake and then when literally no other characters are on the screen he emerges from the cake and wonders where everybody's gone hit the credits and that's what they use, use Paul McCartney for. You can think what you want about the remaining Beatles and their weird life choices post the 1980s, but this is an unbelievable knowing self-own by a music icon. Absolutely stunning this. And it kind of goes to show that the, the two things here for me is that the amount of people who are interested in having a part on this show and doing something for it is one thing. The other thing is the fact that they've actually got the goal to just say, this is, I think RBW spoken about this, where he says, we just started making lists mm. and seeing if we could get these guys and gals. And sure enough, they started getting dreamcasts out of things just because the show was picking up a bit of steam. And it's fascinating. the way. Imagine saying to Paul McCartney, and he would I would imagine he would have loved that as well, the, mm. the kind of inversion of, you're going to have, or subversion rather, you're going to have Paul McCartney on the show. I mean, you imagine he's probably going to be a guest star throughout the whole thing. No, He's an afterthought, a very little afterthought in an episode literally called After the Party. And that's where he turns up. He literally pops out of a cake at the very end. And the other thing, though, you've mentioned this in the past, and I think this is 
key when it comes to the people who have chosen to voice the characters on this show is that they're being asked to do quite a lot of them are being asked to be the voices of some really really serious stuff some mm-hmm. important stuff some damning indictments of the entire hollywood real life hollywood yeah. machine the points which happened in uh, hank after dark this entire episode everybody involved with it has to put a voice to a character that is essentially trying to lift the lid on what would become the Me Too movement and what would become the Speaking Out movement. This is no small feat. You have got to, these actors have got to be on your side and they've got to be comfortable. Yeah. Because let's be honest, there could be very real life uh, problems for them after this. If mm-hmm. someone picks up on that, repercussions that they may not foresee for actually being bold enough to do this. And genuinely, if I was wearing a hat, I would take it off to them <laughs> because this is truly great stuff. And it's the kind of support and backing from a cast and crew that you really need. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Good of them to brave taking on the machine. They could all find themselves ultimately having that car park chat with their version of Hank Hippopopolis where they're threatened with the futures of their careers. In real life. I suppose you would like to think Henry Winkler and Paul McCartney would no longer need to worry about such a chat, but there are plenty in there that could still be given the frighteners for doing such a thing, for contributing to Absolutely. a show which, you know, again, just to sort of round this up really, I guess, season two wasn't just where Bojack Horseman found its voice, it's where it used its voice to shout very loud about the things that mattered before the real world had itself. We talk ourselves horse about this talking horse. We do this podcast because we want people to watch a show that we know is so much better than what people think it is. Yeah. And these celebrities, as much as anything else, as much as any of the plot, um, these voice actors are people reminding you that Bojack Horseman's really important. Mm-hmm. Really, really important. Us doing this podcast is just an excuse to be even tangentially attached yeah. to Bojack Horseman. We'll have to speak to RBW when we get him on the finale of the podcast, of course, to see what he thinks about our involvement in it. Um, but yeah, all seriousness, series two, the critical acclaim, the commercial success, which obviously allowed Netflix to have the confidence to go for season three and yeah. onwards we will go, um, was ahead of its time mm-hmm. and brave and bold and exceptional television at a point where I think this would have been the first point where people would have thought they've already made their mind upon it. 
if you've watched one or two of series one, you're probably not going to go back and watch series two if it's just not for you. And this is when they started really making waves. I think it's massively notable that they found, they decided we've got enough people in for what, because they nearly lost it, didn't they? Mm -hmm. After season one, it was nearly completely done and dusted right there. But because they decided, okay, instead of trying to, you know, instead of trying to hedge our bets and do half an audience or half the show that was for this smart audience, the audience that wants that kind of deep dive in TV show and do half a show that's the gags for the family guy crowd, which, yeah. which by the way, nothing wrong with that at no. all, but they are two very different types of show. They double down on what they wanted to make, which is the format. And sure enough, everybody goes mad for it because it's critically acclaimed. This is the season that ultimately would launch the rest of it, as you've mentioned already. And I really think where they finally figured out this is the show. This is what the show is about. And we say it time and time again, Bojack Horseman is better than the show you <laughs> like. And there's a reason we say that because this is where they have, in my opinion, they have, there's a lot of shows have done it before them, helped to lay the groundwork, The Simpsons in particular, South mm -hmm. Park in particular. This is where Bojack Horseman, for me, changed the game and what an animated show can be across the board because the things I feel like I have, I feel like a better person. Even yeah. by season two, I remember feeling like I am feeling like these are the kinds of things I want from my TV show. I want to have my carrot cake and eat it, as you would say, with rutabaga a bit of it. <laughs> and I'm going to get it. That's what this show has been delivering. I am dying with laughter. And yeah, I am also finding myself, after the show, having long thoughts about, that's a really interesting perspective that I've never seen and never thought to consider in quite a lot of these instances. And this show has put a light on them. Dying of laughter, dying on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> laughter on the outside, death on the inside. What a wonderful segue. Shall we move on to something a little bit lighter then? Yeah, We've go on. sat and raved and ranted about how good this show is, and we are going to continue to do so throughout this entire podcast for as long as we make it. Michael, it's going to be all the seasons, isn't it? Every single episode. Every single episode. Good. I just wanted to make sure that. <laughs> that is the Michael Hamlet stamp of approval. The Michael Stamflet of approval. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Let's move on to Horsing Around, where we go back through the season mm. and we pick up on all of our favorites from each individual episode the rule i always go with is that i'm only allowed one from each season mm -hmm. to pick but i will also where i feel necessary possibly give a shout out to the odd one or two right. that might sneak in there because sometimes it's just too hard to call and it's my and michael's show so <laughs> <each> <laughs> okay jokes aside though let's go back and talk about more jokes i guess yeah Season two, episode one. There can be only one for this, unfortunately, because there are many gags in episode one of season two, Michael, but there's only one that lasts and will last a lifetime and does indeed last the entire season. And that is, of course, the wonderful moment we have on the set of Secretariat. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Because by episode one, I haven't figured it out. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but what I do know is that that is a brilliant moment. And of course, it literally defined this whole season pretty yeah. much. We didn't know it at the time, but it will be asked repeatedly throughout the rest of the episodes in different ways until we finally get bored to asking himself, what am I doing here? Which... We still don't really know, but I'm hoping we're going to find out in future seasons. Let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> Bojack Horseman, what does he know? Does he know things? Well, we're going to find out. Let's go to episode two from season two. And this one was great. This is, of course, the episode where Bojack meets Wanda. And we mm. have a wonderful, impactful beginning of a relationship here with these two. And this is just a special shout to a special feeling in my... Because the songs they use for Bojack and Wanda 
are tremendous. But that isn't what I've chosen as my favourite from this because it, the thing I thought was brilliantly done is the moment where the two of them are talking at the ice rink. They're talking to one another and Bojack tells Wanda, well, you can lead a horse to roller, but you can't make him rink. Oh, it's so good. And it's just such an easy one. But I would, I would never think to go down that road. And I just... I know how much I enjoyed this because it doesn't make any sense and is made even better by Pinky Penguin popping his head out of the side and saying, what? Because <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. It's self a call back it's, to when Bojack it, does it on the Christmas special. On the Christmas yeah. special. For anybody who hasn't already watched that, please do go and watch the Bojack Horseman Christmas special. It will ring true indeed. Now, season three, a little bit of just a little note. You know, we pick out a few things that you might have missed in the background. The names of things, some clever wordplay. One of my favourites from episode three in season two is um, when Todd has become Toad Chevy <laughs> and is the very cool man that he is. He goes around doing lots of cool stuff, which includes stealing a motorcycle at one point, Michael, you may recall, and getting in the face of a bull biker gang. Yes. Well, the name of that bull biker gang is one of my favourites and they are the Highway Masticators <laughs> because, Michael, they're bulls and that's what they do, you so see. Do you get it? I do do I get you it? get it? And they have wonderfully Highway Masticators across there like biker-style jackets, Very and nice. it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Season four, I will give a little nod to one you've already mentioned, and, of course, the magnificent Paul McCartney gag, mm -hmm. where he gets out the birthday cake at the very end, to literally no fanfare whatsoever. <laughs> the, oh, the last Beatle who is not met by any applause whatsoever. But that isn't the one I'm picking for this. That is, of course, you mentioned it, so we'll move away to my other favourites. And as we know, Mr. Peanut Butter doesn't have much luck when it comes to getting things printed and put on, whether it's a banner or sometimes it's clothing. And in this particular episode, it is, of course, the birthday episode after the party for Diane's 35th birthday. And what better way to celebrate that than with the T-shirts that say, I had a ball at Diane's 35th birthday. And underline ball, I don't know why this is so hard. <laughs> Once again, foiled by the printers and his over-explanation on the telephone, but brilliantly, also leads to him getting an entire room filled with balls, specifically a ball pit, specifically so he can get this T-shirt made. Wonderful stuff across the board. We go to episode five, and literally, there wasn't much else to do for episode five. I figure you already know where this is going to go. <laughs> because episode five is the one in this season that has me and Michael on our knees every single goddamn time, because it is, of course, the Chicken for Days episode, and... What better thing to celebrate than the Chicken for Days song? A classic Michael. of the genre. A classic <laughs> of the genre. Genuinely, if you, I'm sure you, are, you may well have watched this season, and may well not. You may well just be relying on this recap. Please do go to season five. <laughs> Please do go listen to the Chicken for Days song because it is absolutely magical. Michael, what does the what does the kid say when he's in the in his bedroom? I don't want to do the homework. I want Chicken for Days. What? 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 It's chicken for days, chicken for days. Everybody's talking about the chicken for days. And I would love to go further, but my brain's gone completely <laughs> blank. I know there's, I've got a bucket full of mystery stuff. <laughs> I got an arm. Brilliant. Honestly, the, the performances on this across the board, oh. top stuff. I cannot not laugh at chickens. It's one of my, <laughs> it's one of the funniest episodes you're going to see in the show. And that is why that has made the list, if you will. Oh. But for episode six, Michael, got to, Gotta talk about something a bit more serious now because mm -hmm. you know we've had a, we've had our fun with chicken yeah, for days. It's a good laugh there. We have to talk about something very serious now, and it, it comes in the form of some death, but it does come in the form of autoerotic asphyxiation, Michael. Uh, which is you know the, the episode's called Higher Love, which I'll let you read it exactly how you want. But 
I was lying. The whole time I was lying. I just told a lie to you because I just want to talk to you about some of the brilliant ways to express this wonderful act of self-love, shall we call it. <laughs> because as you will go through this episode, there will be a list of ridiculous names. Lots of them coming from Corduroy, Corduroy Jackson. Hmm. Oh no, sorry, Corduroy Jackson Jackson. Yeah. Because of course, Jackson Jackson makes perfect sense. I wish any of you could see the hand gesture Michael Hamford just made there. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. But he was of course referring to Strangle the Dirty Dangle, the Blue-Faced Blast Off, the Strokey Chokey, the Two Neck Squeeze, the One Hand on Adam's Apple, the one, uh, the other one on the Adam's Banana. The, I wish you wouldn't look me in the eyes, Mr. <laughs> the Hardcore Gasper. <laughs> <laughs> rolling the dice with a hand gesture that follows nice. the old gasp and goo Ooh. and of course Bojack's personal one that he's so proud he came up with do the funky Spider-Man <laughs> <laughs> I just I need a shower <laughs> well with great power comes great responsibility there's a joke for all Spider-Man fans out there <laughs> that went straight over Michael Hamlet's head oh, but yes know. much like uh, when you do the strangle the day dangle eh? <laughs> let's move on quickly Please. to episode 7 and this is when the going gets really good because, again, the problem is with these, there was a lot of hidden bits that I could have picked up. Yeah, mm. but I feel like it got quite serious this show, this yeah. season. So it's, we've gone for more gags. And in particular, I'm going to have to reference you from the episode Hank After Dark to an incredible article written referring to Diane Newin. So this is an article, Michael, from the famous website, Tit Puncher. <laughs> um, which Mr. Peanut Butter happens to be scrolling through that particular day as Diane is, of course, away on the book uh, tour with Bojack. Mm. So she hasn't really seen this. But the world reacts pretty intensely to her calling out Hank Hippopopolis. Yes. And this red verbatim, of course, as always, <laughs> is the article that someone has decided to write about Diane Nguyen. The title of the article is Feminut Case Hates Hippopopolis. And it goes as follows, and I'm sorry for when I inevitably get derailed here, but here we go. <clears throat> Equine biographer, biographer in quotes, and feminist slag Diane Nguyen was, has hitched her pussy wagon to the backs of cults like Secretariat and Bojack Horseman in order to make a name for herself. And now her pussy wagon's itching for a hitching to a horse of a different colour. A horse popopolis. Old Dry Anne is dragging our beloved Uncle Hanky's name through the mud to get airtime for herself and her bull-hating agenda. <laughs> Are any of the allegations against Hippopopolis true? Nobody knows. The fact is, Hanky is worth 800 million billion, probably. Plenty of incentive for numerous chicks to peck this hard-working hippo with accusations and hitch their pussy wagons to his fame... Diane is just the latest bitch to dig for his hippopot of gold. Fight Club is a good and important movie. <laughs> God oh, damn it, man. Oh, man, that is that's quite something, that. But... <laughs> Fight Club is a good and important movie. <laughs> I'm sure it's not quite implying that that's the kind of film that these people would be watching as well. But I should just point out, it would be I'd be remiss to not tell you that beautifully placed in the bottom corner of this, just mere two episodes after we are introduced to it, is the logo and advert for Chicken for Days, of course, <laughs> just if it wasn't funny enough. And then the three trending articles we can see on the side are as follows. Installing a glass ceiling in five easy steps. <laughs> we also get sandwiches. Should they be made for you? <laughs> in fact, I always say three here and it's always four. 
The other one is MRA Day, Flo MRA Day Parade Float Collapses with a very collapsed looking phallus. And then review Nag cancelling headphones. <laughs> this is this is some next level stuff. Absolutely next level stuff. And obviously we should point out the entire point of this whole thing is to take the piss out of that culture of horrible Hideous. writing that just attacks women who even dare to speak out of their supposed quote-unquote lane. And i tell you what it does, though. It does highlight how stupid it is, and it's impossible to read that without laughing. It really is. I nearly did it there, almost, but we managed to get somewhere with it. Anyway, without, without hanging on to that for too long, let's move on to the next episode eight gag that I found. It happens to be quite a good one as well. Again, we've gone for a gag this time. I know we could have gone for some hidden meanings, but this one I found particularly good is, of course, Bojack versus Daniel Radcliffe on... Go on, what's the name of the show? Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Very good. What's the abbreviation of that show? H-S-A-C-W-D-T-K-D-T-K-T-L-F-O. I will never get tired <laughs> of pop quizzing you on that. And I'm sure the people at home enjoy listening to that as well. But speaking of things you forget, Michael, Daniel Radcliffe decides <laughs> throughout this episode that he wants to dunk on Bojack Horseman. Mm -hmm. And throughout the episode, we'll call him by a number of different names, despite already suggested and proven that he has a pretty eidetic memory when it comes to people he meets. <laughs> but he calls Bojack, and here are the list of names, he calls him Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman. He also calls him BJ Novak. <laughs> he also calls him Horshack. <laughs> Alongside Bojangles. And finally, and possibly the most stupid out of them all, what did you say your name was? Jock Jam Dorslam. <laughs> all of which are progressively more stupid than the last. And... Just this wonderful Hollywood culture of trying to just one-up the person and mm. just pretend like you're better than brilliant stuff. This try to big-time him and ultimately it backfired because Bojack dropped a pile of money into some flames which didn't go to charity <laughs> in the end. Anyway, let's go to episode nine of this season. And this one was a stupid bit of uh, visual comedy for you. But there's this moment where Bojack is trying to assemble his team who are going to help do the great robbery of the, li mm. the library. The library, um, the... What's his name? The Nixon, Richard Nixon the Library, Nixon of Library, course. Yeah. He puts the team together in an Ocean's Eleven-esque way. He says, mm -hmm. I'm going to get the best lockpick in the game, who turns him down. The next best lockpick in the game, who also turns him down. He <laughs> says, I'm going to get a lockpick. <laughs> and we go to Todd. And as we find Todd, he's in Bojack's house. And he's on a pool table at this point. Todd is playing pool with a baguette, some tomatoes, an onion, and a watermelon, <laughs> which presumably produces some watermelon sugar. Hi. I'm not so sure. I'll let you tell me about that one. And Todd is literally just goofing around on Bojack's table with a bunch of assorted fruits and vegetables. You have to see it to believe it. It's fantastic. A personal favourite of mine in that particular episode. Now, we've only got three episodes to go. We're nearly there, everyone. I promise you. We're nearly there. Episode 10. This one is another powerhouse of a gag. This comes during a phone call between Mr. Peanut Butter and I was going to call her Princess Diane there, but I guess that's a blending of two different names. Diane knew in once again. But whatever her name is, her husband decides to call her and ask about how things are going and tell her that he's been kind of flexing on his work colleagues, which sounds familiar, doesn't it, in the world of Hollywood <laughs> stars and celebrities? What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out, which I'm not going to abbreviate because I don't have my notes in front of us. <laughs> but I should point out that Peanut Butter is on the phone to her and the sound guy is sat next to him. And Peanut Butter says over the phone to Diane about the conversation he's been having with the sound guy. He says... <laughs> he says... His wife works with at-risk teens. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. But compared to what my wife is doing, your wife is bullshit. 
<laughs> and he had to agree with me because I'm his boss. <laughs> and at the point brilliantly where the sound guy turns and looks to him as if to say, come on, man, don't do this to me. I'm listening to this on the headphones as you talk down the mic to your wife. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely brilliant. The sheer abuse of power there from mm. peanut butter across the board. And also, couldn't be more wrong given the Diane situation is not what it seems at the time. However... Episode 11, Michael, this is one for you, this, because I know how much you love this one. Because episode 11, I'm not even going to really give you any context other than just saying, Kyle and the kids. <laughs> Kyle's a dad. Charlotte's married to him and she's got some kids. It's oh. Penny, she's going to high school. Her brother, her name is Trip. They're the perfect family. Kyle and the kids. He loves his wife and there's nothing you can do. Kyle and the kids. Because nothing's going to be all right. Be all right. No, no. Kyle and the kids, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> by Michael Hamflet. What a wonderful rendition. Ed Helms and Co. Eat your heart out. He loves his wife. He loves his and wife. There's and nothing, there's nothing you can do. You can do. If only he'd been listening at the start of the episode, eh? He might have known, but he didn't because he's a stupid horse. Oh, and as it happens, Michael Hamflitz, that's him done now for the rest of the season, unfortunately. <laughs> it was one and done. I thank you so much for doing that You're because welcome. that is recorded immortally. And I apologise to everyone who is now currently booking an appointment with their doctor to have their eardrums repaired. Yeah, sorry for all the lost subscribers. Finally, now, finally, this one, I can... It is actually a serious note, this one, mm -hmm. because we have done a lot of stupid. And yes. this... This is a. It was a. It, the reason I went with that is because I want to remind everybody that despite the fact this show does cover a lot of very serious topics and dives into some intense stuff throughout the show, there is still a lot of room for big humour throughout. But also, the show is very subtle in its approach a lot of the time, and it can give you things that are great, far greater than what we're seeing them. And a massive example throughout this season, episode twelve's big pull away, but also the whole show's, the whole season's pull away is the baboon who we're introduced to throughout the show. Uh, he's initially a background character we see running up and down the hill outside of Bojack's house. He's a runner. That's what keeps him fit. That's what keeps him alive. And he's, fair to say, he's an older baboon. He's, yeah. he's one who's certainly in, in the, 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 like the twilight of his career and life, shall we say. But wise nonetheless, Michael, because the wonderful quote we get from the baboon, my favourite of the episode and probably one of my favourites of the show up to this point. We know that Bojack decides to try and get himself back on track. As we saw him at the very beginning of season two, he wants to go out running. Although the problem is he doesn't really like running because he's not that kind of guy. He loves drinking drugs. So that doesn't really work out for him too well. But as it happens, he gets to the top and he's trying to claim his life back. Hope is on the horizon, although he's tired. So he goes down on the back. He's, he's recovering. And the baboon leans over the top of him, who we've seen throughout the show, and says the following to Bojack. It gets easier. Every day, it gets a little easier, but you've got to do it every day. That's the hard part, but it does get easier. And anybody who's watched it, anybody who's probably listened to that for the first time, if indeed you are, you'll know just how vague and wonderful that can be applied to absolutely everything in life. Not just the fact, the running element, which mm -hmm. we both enjoy. Yep. Not just the life element, which we also both enjoy. <laughs> At least I'm pretty sure we do. Yeah. We'll have a talk about that later on. <laughs> but ultimately, just across the board, the way this kind of summarises for me, it has become, throughout many Bojack Horseman fans who have indeed watched the entire show and maybe have only just watched the show up to this point, it's such a huge comment on the type of mental health-related issues that mm -hmm. come with this show and the approach to life in general, not just running, not just a job, not just trying to achieve the goals that you want, but in generally, just the whole of life yeah. across the board. And I think it's just such a beautiful way to do this. The way the baboon has been such a 
background character throughout it. And here he is at the end of the season delivering an absolute, guess what kind of line it is? It's a powerhouse line powerhouse. because that's what this show does. And honestly, it just the show is all the better for it and you can understand why people have clung onto this and sort of mythologised this thing to a much bigger scope outside of the show and afterwards. We mentioned in season one, one of the ways in which they kind of get Todd over as this a heroic wizened figure is almost that he, he shows the kindness of strangers yeah. and they relate him to what it like is like to be a homeless person and how he relates to Bojack as a result on a different level. Mm. And it's the kindness and wisdom of this stranger who we assume lives some version of a comfortable life, even in his old age, because he gets to run every day yeah. and he seems to be very healthy with it. As you say, it's a lament on life, on love, on addiction, on self-care, on all these things that have touched pretty much all of the characters as we've hopefully described in this recap and across the season and yet they've found a way to sum the whole thing up in two sentences when we couldn't in 13 podcasts that's yeah. the art of rbw's writing the art of this character and the art of this show classified in one very last final way that as you pointed out doesn't need to relate directly to one element of the story it just captures all of it this show again throughout the throughout its existence kind of adds layer upon layer upon layer upon itself. There's more layers to this, Michael, than the bloody cake that Paul McCartney's in <laughs> in season four. But the whole point I'm trying to get at here is just that the things that it offers across the board, the whole smorgasbord of different things that it tries to cover across the serious tones, which we've obviously dived into in such a deep way throughout here, they have to kind of balance that with a bunch of humour. Mm. They do that brilliantly. They give us so many things behind the scenes, everything, that the time that must go into each episode. It takes us long enough to actually sit down and prepare before we sit down and review it yeah. because there's that much to have. They keep on top of everything. Everything matters in this show across the board. And I just think the baboon who you've been shown, whether you were paying attention or not, throughout this entire season, eventually delivers an absolute... The, the home run of home run lines for me. Mm. And it just goes to show you that even the small characters in this show, the ones you may not think are so significant, can deliver something that's that powerful. Everyone is serving a purpose, which is ironic because half the time they all feel like that's exactly what they're all lacking. Bojack yeah. himself even, I think, stresses it was in this season where he is envious of those people that feel like they have a purpose, that feel like they have a reason to be when he can't seem to find his. Be that through his life of, well, his formative years of being in an abusive relationship with his parents or the life that he's chosen instead of the one that he could have had yeah. with Charlotte. It's remarkable stuff. It's a wonderful way to cap off a wonderful season and it was just... Again, to review it, it was a privilege that we both had. We talk enough about male privilege, and this is one yeah. of ours, getting yeah, to talk yeah. about this show, because we wax lyrical about season one, but to compare those two just briefly, I think season one was as much about the show finding its feet, but you hadn't quite realised just how early it found it, and then it started to create these stories and create these narratives. Season two was exploring every single one of them in the most intimate detail, and we were so glad to do it, even when... It didn't make you feel glad. Yeah. It's a show we talk about other forms of television and other comparisons, and there are always comparisons made to the United sitcoms that were similar to Horsin' Around, for example. But this season was where you felt Bojack Horseman in the show entering the god tier, the elite tier, whatever you want to call it. Every listen to this podcast, I would like to think, is probably into other television shows, and you will have your favourites, mm. and you will listen to those podcasts. Um, myself and Nicholas both share a similar love of The Wire, for example. Indeed. And this just felt like, well, a shock to the system that the Talking Horse show was approaching something very, very special indeed, and you couldn't wait for more. Could they follow it up? Let's find out. Exactly. Can you imagine me saying to you, at the very beginning of this journey, that at the end of season two, a baboon will be talking to a horse, 
and he will tell you one of the most impactful things you're going to hear <laughs> of your week. That is, but when you're watching that, you aren't thinking this is a baboon talking to a horse. You are yeah. thinking this is a wise old man telling a very struggling, depressed horse that he, or d- depressed person, full mm-hmm. stop, that he, there's that it gets better, and you just got to keep trying. And that's yeah. what a great message, and that's probably a great message for us to finish up on the horse and around section of this. Mm-hmm. We've waxed lyrical about this show. You'd imagine there's nothing else to talk about, Michael, but indeed we do have or certainly we're supposed to have one last thing and then I swear to God we'll shut up about this season mm. forever now normally we'd have them ready maybe you've got one and you'll buy me some time while I come <laughs> up with mine Michael you always seem to be switched on with this it's just a little word on a character that we've yet to discuss but uh, featured heavily in season one and was back again in a roundabout way in season two okay. and that was character actor Margot Martindale of course she was imprisoned in season one as a result of her affiliation with Bojack Horseman yeah. and one of his daft schemes and unfortunately it was much of the same in season two um, whilst the real life characters in Bojack's life get dragged into the muck of his very existence mm. it's played so brilliantly for laughs that you almost allow for Margot to suffer at his, I was going to say at his hands, at his hooves. Uh, in this case, she is released from prison for good behaviour in the shot and then is barely three steps out of prison before Bojack speeds up and asks her to take part in his, as you put it, his Ocean's Eleven style heist yeah. of, uh, of the Richard Nixon Museum when they're trying to set up the shot. Um, she was a model inmate. They do know that she bit off an inmate's finger. But other than that, she's been in the best behaviour and everything's been fine because um, she made delicious prune desserts, I think it was, or something along those lines. They were justified in letting her go. And yet as soon as she was out and back on the heist, she became a obsessed with causing more death and destruction. However, it wasn't of her own doing. At the heist, things all went wrong, as you would expect them to do in a nice, neatly wrapped 25 and a half minute sitcom. Um, There began a shootout between the police and Margot because they all recognised her as a character actor but couldn't remember her real name. Mm. And she completely, yeah. she was immediately exposed again to some of the things that turned her into a psychopath in the first place. And her season starts very much where the last, sorry, her season ends very much where it started. The police have surrounded her. We don't know if she's been gunned down to death or just captured by the police bar being riddled with bullets. And yet nobody else on the show really seems to care. Bojack doesn't express any remorse or regret that he's dragged her back from prison and sent her straight back there as a result of being part of her plan. Okay. And yet, it's a wonderful runner. We talk about that baboon being a wonderful runner. This, too, was a wonderful runner that we got her return in the show, if only for a brief interaction that was as brutal and as dangerous as the last ones we saw in season one. A wonderful gag that just seems to grow and grow in absurdist, violent ways. Margot Martindale, again, another example, as we've talked about, characters maybe who started off as background and additional characters who make themselves relevant Mm. and we suddenly find ourselves fascinated by what they do. And it's fair to say, at this point, anything Margot Martindale has done has certainly been memorable and we have not forgotten her name. I think it's fair to say that would be fair. Now, I was going to talk about one thing for mine, mm-hmm. but I've changed your mind. Okay. A little curveball for you, because I've just had a... I like doing this sometimes, just riffing, because we figure it out along the way. Honestly, we do put loads of prep into this, I swear <laughs> to God. I swear to God. And then I'll show up about this podcast forever. But I want to talk a little bit about Charlotte. Now, mm. sort of about Charlotte, but also something that Charlotte says and something that I think is kind of fundamental to this season. Um, a question I would like to pose you as well, because I realise we're going to get... I'll pose it to you, the listeners, but also to you... Michael Hanford, because we're going to get the questions that they have asked us. So why yes. not chuck a few out ourselves? Yeah, because 
Charlotte, uh, obviously we know that her relationship with Bojack, she has moved away though, she has a life of her own. Bojack literally storms into her world and turns the whole thing upside down, all for the worse, and leaves some irreparable damage, trauma, across the levels of for both her and for her daughter. And maybe Kyle and Trip, but Kyle's too busy with being Kyle mm. and Trip's too busy looking after his bonus. So <laughs> other bigger fish to fry, other things to worry about. Yeah. However, there's a brilliant exchange between Charlotte and Bojack in the backyard before it all goes downhill and it all goes a bit mad. And he asks uh, Charlotte regarding the tar pit of mm. Hollywood. Because Charlotte in season one says that she thought the Hollywood was a tar pit and it'll drag you down and if you get caught under it, you're gone. Her whole view on the whole thing has changed. Uh, as we see, that kind of, the narrative that people can, just because you say something when you're a young kid doesn't necessarily mean it's your same view as you grow older yeah. and move on. Now, the, the way she pitches it, she says, no, she doesn't think that's true anymore. She thinks you're the topic. And the way the sentence is phrased is, you, the like, you, Bojack, could be interpreted as that, or you, the collective, is what mm. she tries to backtrack and say that that's what she means. Now, you could give her the benefit of the doubt and say that's it, but I kind of want to focus on the you, the topic, is it Bojack? Because is the topic Hollywood or is it Bojack Horseman? Because... As I look further on, further around, and it's the tarpit metaphor that creeps up. Yes, we look around and we talk about it frequently in this podcast, mm. the, the tarpit of Hollywood. But more and more, this season in particular, almost everything and everyone that Bojack touches, and by his own words that come out of his mouth, end up in a bit of a worse position. I, like I, He burns the bridge completely, well and truly, as you mentioned, with both Charlotte and her family. That is gone. That's him. That's all Bojack. Mm. Turns up and destroys an entire world. That's the tar pit he chucks all over there and drags them down into his yeah. misery. Diane kind of ends up getting dragged down into his misery mm. in terms of his house. She goes and spends time there and misery does indeed love company and even joins Diane, encourages that and enables that on the city, yeah. which is not great. Through the similar means, Wanda and Bojack meet and what happens? It's all great to begin with. And then as he puts it, you fell in love with me. Then you then you got to know me. And now you don't. It's kind of thing. That, you know, Bojack is the problem here. Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack don't have too much of a huge interaction. But again, when they do, is on the show. And what happens? Bojack completely almost derails the show. We get the rain, the literal rain pouring from the skies of a mad-powered <laughs> J.D. Salinger having his megalomaniac moment. <laughs> but again drags peanut butter into the, into the muck and the mire and someone who didn't want any of this has to deal with the fact that Bojack kissed his wife. Mm. Like, maybe not his wife at the time, I don't think, but his actual wife now and they've had to deal with that themselves. Yeah. The more and more examples we go through, Todd, again, who's been neglected throughout the show, almost gets kidnapped by definitely not a cult. Bojack, yes, may save him in the end, but you could argue, doesn't turn up for his show the first time mm. when Todd puts the, the improv show on and therefore that sets Todd on the a feeling like he needs to leave and move on to other places. Carolyn, God bless that woman's soul because she tries her best. But Bojack, even with her, makes her life a living hell, disappears for months. Yeah. She then has to try and patch up all the problems there. He disappears from the, the film, Secretariat. I could go on and on. Kelsey, no less, mm. takes Kelsey. And he's the problem. He takes her to get this shot that he really wants for his own big masterpiece. And as a result, Kelsey gets fired from her job. Michael Hamford, I am beginning to think that maybe Hollywood isn't the target. And maybe, yes, we've been told this before, but the question is, is Bojack Horseman the tar pit or is Hollywood the tar pit? The introduction of the tar pit from Charlotte is when Bojack has a choice to make, which is to go with her 
or stay put in Hollywood. Mm. If he goes with her, they go to Maine together, which is the place he always pictured that she would be. And that turned out to be our smaller chapter in her life as the time she spent in Hollywood, which we learned she has kind of managed to brush aside. It's not something she's ever spoken about with the family because she just doesn't, not out of any cynical reasons, just mm. doesn't place particular importance on it. And me a chapter rather than the and whole she story. Was young as well, which is yeah. implied, but that's the other thing. Um, and I just wonder if that was the moment Bojack chose Hollywood and in effect dove headfirst into the tar and there is a lot of visual symbolism of Bojack falling or diving into bodies of water throughout this season and of course in every episode through the opening credits and yes I would say very possibly that he was consumed by the tar meant that everybody that came into contact with him at least got some of it on them and they couldn't brush it off um he had the choice she when she told that story we were given the visual metaphor of the whole city suddenly being like overcome with tar. It was like a rising yeah. water level. And when to follow that, Herb and Bojack dove into the water pit at the studio, mm-hmm. it was shallow. Yeah. It wasn't real. So the tar was engulfing Hollywood, whereas the water itself, the clear water, was not. Mm. Unlike the lovely babbling brooks of Maine, where he could have <laughs> gone with there with Charlotte. So yeah, I think that's a, a probably a reasonable um, assessment to make and there's probably more bigger picture right in there that Bojack is just one of many that have got the tar on them yeah. in the case of your Dianes and your Mr Pinters it's secondary tar because of their closeness to Bojack but there will be more people like Bojack where they are just at drowning in the, the swamp tar. as it yeah. were at one with the tar <laughs> so you either meet somebody that's going to get some on you or you meet somebody that's already covered in it themselves and I think that speaks to most of Bojack's interpersonal relationships in the series. Yeah. I just thought it was fascinating the way they pitched that question mm. because for so long in this show, we, and I, could, I would, I have to say the question was merely posed as a question rather than one I have the answer for because I feel like Hollywood, we've seen many examples of how it itself will drag you down if you aren't careful enough. But I just thought it was fascinating and probably very deliberate from RBW to make us question whether it was indeed, was Bojack a product of his environment or was his environment a product of him? And I think that's probably about as good a way to summarise as I'm going to get with that. <laughs> thank you thank you very much, Jack Nicholson from The Departed for that one. <laughs> um, but yes, I've asked you some questions, but I believe we might have some questions we need to answer, do we? We do. We have a few questions through the Twitter. Thank you very much to everyone got in touch at Podcast Horseman. We will next season hopefully get the call out in a bit longer. That's my bad. I got that out a little bit late, but we have had some questions in from people on this. Um, and you've given me a lovely segue because we do have a question about the old Hollywood tar. Thank you very much, Aaron Coleman, for getting in touch. You have asked us um, what our favourite one-liners and visual gags are. Uh, he notes that his favourite was Ethan Hawke because, you know, he's a hawk. He's a hawk. Um, but obviously we've, we've given you a list of big ones there. I can't look past chicken for days. I was going to say it. I wish I could. I wake up screaming some nights wishing I could look past <laughs> chicken for days, but I can't. Um, imagine it's... imagine what happens with Michael's poor wife who, just, <laughs> as he wakes up in the middle of the night going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I just, I can't get around it. <laughs> but he asks specifically in relation to the tar and Diane. Yes. He says, uh, Diane is normally the voice of reason in the show, but this season she let herself sink into the Hollywood tar. Mm. Is this her giving up? or her inner demons coming out. And he says again, love the podcast. Thank you very much, Coleman. We appreciate that. Yeah, Diane and the tar. Is it just something she can't brush off her arm, or has she begun to drown in it, as Bojack did a long time ago? I think it's, it becomes a point with Diane where she's been so good at handling the tar. She finds it... In season one, we're showing Diane as the kind of person who knows how to distance herself from the tar. Mm. That's very much it. Now, 
again, she finds herself being dragged into other people, usually, mostly Bojack, but Peanut Butter does have a every now and again, puts her hand on and drags her in. Mm-hmm. This season, though, unfortunately, Diane has had two monumental battles with the Tar, if you like. But this one was the Tar in Hollywood and maybe the Tar in Cordovia as well, yeah. if there is such a thing. Um, the traumas of life have caught up with Diane and her constantly having to fight these little battles everywhere she goes, whether they be physical or mental or otherwise, uh, finally get the better of her. I don't know if it's... <sighs> I feel like would she again? Is this an environment being that the fact that I was at here, and I just we have been led to believe that maybe, or certainly I have, is that she stays away, keeps her distance from the tar, because Diane is the kind of person who is prone and has a tendency to get maybe a bit caught up in her own mental health at times, which can happen to the best of us, of course. Mm-hmm. But Diane certainly feels like a character who is so in touch with the truth that that is it's inevitable that that would happen if she spent too much time alone with her own thoughts. And this season in particular. After having to go through all of the, the drama with Hank Hippopolis and the abuse and the, the trauma that comes with that, followed by the very real trauma of being in Cordovia, I think maybe it just got a little bit too much for Diane. Inner demons? I'm not so sure about inner demons. I think Diane is a deep thinker, but I think the demons have come from elsewhere in particular yeah. and have dragged her into it. That's my personal view. And I do think she has her own thoughts on things, but I would say personally, maybe she is... She is the product of her environment in this scenario. Honour in the demons, if indeed it was something, it, which I agree with you. Yeah. I think I, I don't think it's in the demons. I think it's more outer influences yeah. that come on. Certainly more from the end of season one through all the way through season two. If there's any character in the show that is the closest that we can get to being an avatar for us as a viewer, it continues to be Diane. Mm. And you would like to think of yourself in her shoes. Well, you wouldn't because she's had a really hard time of it. But if you'd like to think of herself going through it, you would like to believe that you could bring some grace and some dignity to mm. all these other people's worlds. And if one thing was going to bring you down, it was going to be what has happened to you rather than was lingering in you from the beginning. Yeah. And I think that's certainly the case with Diane. She wants to believe that she brings truth and brings goodness and everything else. But it's the fact that she doesn't know that for definite is what's part of the problem. I feel like she sometimes does as well. It's just that the, that doesn't always matter. Yeah, She might bring the truth, but the truth, in inverted commas, is... Whatever Hollywood decides it is. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Yeah. The real truth gets buried in the tar, probably. <laughs> the narrative becomes whatever they want it to be, which means that the one thing she stands for doesn't really matter, sadly. Mm. Another one um, from the, obviously, one of the, the bigger talking points of the season from Eli Garcia. Thank you, Eli, for some of your great contributions over the course of the season. At EAG1105. Although it's significant that Bojack got up the hill and finally made progress, where does he go from here? We've seen that he only makes progress in dire times. At the top of the hill was a flat street. Are we to assume that Bojack will stagnate or plateau? And of course, we should answer that spoiler-free. But I guess more philosophically speaking, off the back of that interaction um, with the runner, like your take on Bojack going forward without literally describing how things are going to turn out for him. I think it goes back down the hill and goes to his house and that's it. <laughs> no, of course, it's a lot deeper than that. I think um, interesting that we find Bojack at the end of this season, uh, you know, at the beginning of, the, of this season particularly, he's sat a wonderful, beautiful scene where he's looking out the window, the sun is rising, he's listening to his self-help tapes. Mm. He's in a what would seem like a good position. The sun is rising on the season and he's there. Yeah. Unfortunately, by the time we get to the end of the season... Life has had a way and he's lying on his back looking up at the sky for answers and he gets them in the form of a baboon who is wiser than he will ever be. Does he plateau? 
Well, when we leave him, we are to believe that he's got to get in shape. He's about mm-hmm. to go on this Oscar journey with yeah. Anna Spornacopita and everybody who is attached to that. In the push to make Secretariat the Oscar-worthy film it should be. I think it's the way we leave him is a man who has accepted that life has a way of beating you down, which it does to him on numerous occasions. He tries to run away, he tries to find alternative routes, but all roads lead, all roads and indeed the sea, lead back <laughs> to LA for Bojack eventually. And sadly, I think it's him, has to, he has to kind of go, okay, well, running away didn't work, didn't work for me, and it didn't work for Secretariat. So whatever this is, whatever this narrative is now, I need to f- fall back in line. Is that the way to describe it? Because that's what Hollywood was asking him to do. And it's the only real thing he's ever known how to do. Uh, in the question, Eli sort of notes that he only makes progress in dire times. Mm. This is one of several times in Bojack's life in the show so far where he's hit a version of bottom. It might be the bottom of a bottle or the bottom of a... <laughs> bad trip in the terms yeah. of episode 11 from season one, or indeed the bottom of his relationship with Charlotte, a bottom he didn't know he could find. Um, he is literally on his arse here. He's flat on his back. He has given up on something yet again. He's questioned if he can do something. He's full of doubt. He may have stopped and he may have been given this great wise advice, but I would say he's far from yeah. in good straits. You know, he's uh, maybe the situation isn't dire, but it's far from good. It's far from perfect. Mm-hmm. All he's done is rebuild somewhat a relationship with Todd and lost his lodger in the form of Diane. Things are on the mend, but things have gotten so bad that I would hardly say they're good. And I would suggest that perhaps these could still be considered the dire straits that Bojack find himself in, albeit, in this case, a physical representation. He's literally too tired to do anything, to move forward. He can't physically do it. But he does. I think the the most important part of it is is the fact that what is the final thing we hear in this season, he says, okay, Mm -hmm. like... I'm going to get back on the horse, if you'll pardon the pun, <laughs> yeah. because quite literally, it's beaten him down. Much like Diane, he's watched Diane, who was at rock bottom, mm-hmm. and has seen her get pick herself back up, dust herself off, and have another go at it. Well, he has no choice does he, at this point. He's got mm-hmm. no other choice. There's nothing left. There's That dream world he could have always run away to isn't there anymore. So unfortunately for Bojack, he has to get back in the saddle and get himself back into the world of Hollywood, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Rarely turns out to be better. Rarely turns out to be better. But hey... <laughs> We can dream. We can dream, and he will. Uh, we've got uh, a question from uh, Chris Mora. That's at Mad Mora X. Thank you, Chris, for your list again of your favourite episodes ranked from uh, best to worst. You can't hank after dark as the best episode. He's, uh, he's called it Mint Television at his finest, and I couldn't agree more. Um, combining this with the other five seasons is going to kill me, he says. Uh, I asked this the last time to Hamflit, who answered my question. So if I can specifically pose this to Nicholas, what singular moment in season two would you define as the heart of the season? Um. The heart of the season. There's a lot of there's a lot of heart in this show. That's the problem. Um, when I think of the heart of the show, though, I'm talking about like not the not not the most wonderfully heartfelt moment within. I'm talking about what is this show about, mm. and which episode probably summarises that quite nicely. And I do wonder if this is going to step on the toes, perhaps, of maybe some further questions down the line. But for me, this show is always at its best when it is tackling the important things in life in the world and it is never more the show it is never more bojack horseman than when it's doing that that's what this show is for ultimately i feel everything else is sort of a a vehicle all the jokes all the background details everything is a nice dress up to event to essentially produce a show that is going to tackle some of the most untackleable things that actually occur in hollywood in the real world as such the heart of it for me 
the heart of it, well, it would be hard not to do what do something that includes Diane mm-hmm. because, and I always think as was rated at his top his top episode there, Hank After Dark is a brilliant, brilliant, yeah, the the deepest dive maybe that this show does in terms of that. I honestly think though, I'm gonna have to move away from Diane in this particular situation. The heart of the show, as you will tell us every single time we do this podcast, is classic Bojack and classic Bojack's tackling of certain scenarios and things he does and what the results of those are and for me whenever I think of the biggest hardest hitting most heartfelt moment of this show which tackles something huge as it does it's it's episode 11 it always is and it's Bojack and it's Charlotte and it's Penny and it's the unthinkable Bojack does the absolute unthinkable and has found probably the biggest rock bottom that we've seen him to date Mm -hmm. to actually do and how on earth does he come back from that? And just an episode later, nothing, there are no, no, absolutely no consequences whatsoever and that doesn't help the matter at all. How does he come back from this? It's, it's a season in an episode, episode 11, isn't it? Because, yes, he spends three months, so there's quite a significant passage of time, but at the start of that three months, he is told by a once love of his life to stay as long as he wants and by the very end, if you get the bleeps ready, um, to get out of her house or she will f***ing kill him. Yeah. That is hero to zero. Better than any film, not least the version of Secretary that finished getting made, could produce. And that's Bojack's real life. And as you say, the lack of consequence is part of the problem of why Bojack remains Bojack and why Hollywood remains Hollywood and all that sort of stuff. The tar again. Yeah, it's hard to look past it. It's the beating, the beating heart of Bojack ultimately is black. Yeah. It's, it's blackened by the tar. It's blackened because his soul is dark. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's hard. Uh, like it, it was. It was opposed to you, but something that stuck with me from the season was um, Kelsey getting fired, mm. and that's more about the machine and Lenny Turtletop going from being almost the romanticised old Hollywood yeah. idiot, an Ingr- lovable an Ingr- idiot, lovable I- idiot, almost. to cruel rich man. That harsh reminder of what that was off the back of making good art. Kelsey and Bojack made some good, earthy quality art for a film they thought they were going to drag in stream to be good. And he just put everybody right back in their box in the cruelest fashions. So even when I've got something that is the heart of the show, it's still a dark heart because it's the heart of Hollywood's ugliness. Whereas obviously you've kind of focused on Bojack specifically. It sounds like we're not finding goodness, but it's because this has to expose you to the bad to remind you of the good itself. Edward Shiraz Hans um, agrees with you. Yeah, he's asked us what our most heartbreaking moment of the series was mm. uh, in terms of like how it defines season two. He has actually given his own. He says episode eleven defines season two the best in that we see the ex- internal struggles that plague Bojack. It kind of plays to your point about yeah. being the heart. Um, if there's anything different, your most heartbreaking moment of the season. Obviously, it's impossible to not choose that. That is the one, mm. obviously, because we we want so much more from Bojack. Yeah. Bojack is a piece of shit. We have told this throughout the show. If you think otherwise, you need to rewatch the show, mm. unfortunately. And we want him to improve. That's the whole point. We want growth. We want to see him get better. And sometimes we get glimpses of it, and then ultimately, he ends up falling back down. You summed that up really well there, saying episode 11 could be a whole season in one episode mm. because... It's the complete antithesis of season one where he says, you know, this isn't just like 30 minutes of television where it all gets wrapped up and it's happy ever after. This is 30 minutes of television where it all gets wrapped up and it's the worst ending (laughs) ever. 
Like yeah. that is there's there's not there's nothing else for me. There was a ton of heartbreak in this, mm. a ton across the board. I think Princess Carolyn almost getting played is tough. Watching her scenario, mm. yeah. Watching Diane making bad choices because she's depressed and not in the right state of mind, that's also difficult and heartbreaking. Everybody has a little bit of it this season, but that there's no other option for me. It has to be that episode. Yeah, it's I don't like you kind of you touched on some ones there because we're probably in agreement here. Princess Carolyn sprung to mind when I read that question yeah. because the way they shoot her and Rudy Baker in the windows, um, and we've seen this before in season one as well, the struggle of the working woman trying to have it all, in yeah. the words of Vanessa Gecko, who was obviously having it all. Um, yeah, and then that expressed through Diane's depression. I think a very worthy shouts because it's all extremely visual. You are forced to watch the crumbling of their psyches through mm. how they look, through the decisions that they're being forced to make rather than because they want to make themselves the stripping of the agency from the agent in the case of Princess Carolyn. It's just not nice. And the more that that's thrust in front of you, the more that you want to root for them to get out. And they do a bit by the end. But that comes with its own heartbreak because you sense the next one around the corner because you now have been introduced to the system that they're yeah. working on. You've in, you've seen the wheel that if they were hamsters instead of, in the case of Princess Carolyn being a cat, what they'd be running on. And it's just that very little comes for them with unanimous satisfaction. Mm. Almost like, nothing. As Bojack may have the boat with the name, but there is absolutely no escape from Elliot whatsoever <laughs> for any of these characters. It's... Gone very dark, so I'll end on a nice one. Good. Uh, last I've been one. waiting for this. Nice <laughs> last one. one from a great name. Um, something I might get printed on an awful T-shirt that I only wear on holidays. Dad Attitude. At, uh, <laughs> DDM on 888. Thank you, Dad Attitude. Um, it's a fun one, this. If you were a producer on HSAC, WDTK, DTK, LFO, what game would you have the contestants play? I choose a Mr. and Mrs. style round because you know it would be exceptionally uncomfortable in Bojack's world. Brilliant. I like that one. Any thoughts on that one, Nicholas? Yes, I'll try and keep this answer short because I realise we, we, we enjoy a good <laughs> ramble. Catchphrase. I'd love a round of catchphrase on that show because just think of how many jokes. This is a show that is renowned for background gags and side mm-hmm. gags. How many could they squeeze into a round of catchphrase? That's all I have to say on the matter. With the little release where you see one square at a time. Yeah. So it's one thing, then it's something very, very different yeah. by the end. Yeah. I would like, because it was given an excuse for more episodes of this and more clips of this, mm. Mr. Peanut Butter always has at least one round that's just about himself. Yeah. I would like to see a round on Peanut Butter's house, uh, which gives us the excuse to have a Peanut Butter's house Christmas special, oh. which we never got. We got a horse and a round one. We got did. clips from horse and around. I would love... Just a little bit more of a glimpse at Peanut Butter's house, uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's house, yeah. just to see how close it ran to horsing around. The actual show itself, because that was pretty damn close from what we have it seen already. Sounds pretty close. They are pretty damn close. So is that us? Is that all our questions? That is us, and that I think is season two. My goodness me! Well, thank you very much to everybody who yes. sent questions in. We love talking ourselves horse about this talking horse, as you probably gathered, because. This will be probably, when we get finally first, the longest podcast we've done in the entire season. But I think you'll all agree, as the show goes on, it becomes more complex. And they are going to probably get a little bit longer because there's so much to talk about. And this show, layer upon layer of excellence, and it doesn't feel right to not do them all justice in that form. We try not to 
give any spoilers away, but this is a minor one. We're really sorry for taking an extra 15, 20 minutes of your time <laughs> in season three because, yeah, there might, there might be a little bit more to them. Yes, I'm thinking of some very specific episodes <laughs> where there's going to be a lot going on. But we hope you've enjoyed season two as much as we have enjoyed making it and, of course, watching it back. It's been fantastic. Mm. But before we ramble on any further, Michael, let's just quickly plug the last little things we need to. If you've enjoyed this show so far, whether it's season one, season two, or all of it, maybe, you can follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Please do continue to send questions, your favourite bits from the show, comments, just if you're watching episodes, we love to hear from them. Yeah. We love to hear your theories, all those sorts of things. And who knows, they might end up in an episode of one of these podcasts. And if you'd like to follow either of your hosts, if you just haven't had enough <laughs> after nearly two hours of pure bullshit, <laughs> well, don't worry because I've got an unlimited stream of it on Twitter. You can find me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can find my even bigger bullshit of a comment <laughs> colleague here, Michael Hamflit. You can find him at At Michael Hamflit. If you think there's characters in Bojack Horseman that you want to see that I flood my timeline with, um, yes, you can indeed subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow it on Spotify. You can listen on Aircast. You can listen on Stitcher. Pretty much anywhere you get your podcast. We would love you to follow on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts because those are the ones that get us in charts that get more people talking themselves more about a talking horse and we would love you through one of those mediums if you can and if you would love to to leave us a review a five star review with any comments any questions any queries any of that good stuff um, there's a good chance you'll get it read out on this podcast and be inducted into our Hollywood Talk of Fame another inductee coming to the socials next week as we begin season three season three da, 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 da. <laughs> and speaking of which let's quickly before we go give them the synopsis yeah. for the first episode of season three Episode one on Netflix synopsis, start spreading the news. Anna Spanakopita sends Bojack to New York to do interviews and Todd tags along. Princess Carolyn tells Mr. Peanut Butter to get back to work. And I think that is a nice place for me to stop work, Michael, and call it a day. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. As always, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman Season 2. 